Welcome to the Coffee and Conversation podcast, the podcast that celebrates great people making amazing things happen. This second series of the podcast is presented under the banner of COVID Connections, and I will be chatting with several of the fabulous people with whom my path has crossed over these challenging past 12 months. My guest today is Kenny Hamilton, a quiet, calming individual who has a passion for music and learning. Kenny arguably has the most diverse knowledge of music of anyone I have ever met and has also been known to experiment with his own style of music. As a teacher, Kenny is committed to developing a more skills-based, learner-led curriculum and has found inspiration and motivation in the past 12 months to continue his exploration into the difference he can make in and beyond the classroom. Welcome, Kenny, to uh, the Coffee and Conversation podcast, although I have to confess um, it's an evening recording, so I don't have coffee. I have, um, I think it's a peppermint and licorice tea, which kind of sounds a bit horrible, but actually it sort of tastes all right. <laughs> so that's my drink for the evening. Um, but welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And, Very pleased to be here. Yeah, and just to kind of maybe put in context, um, we've connected through some of the Creative Bravery Festival stuff and AOB, which is a Thursday afternoon session. Um, and yeah, it's just another connection that I suppose this series is about people I may not have met had it not been for lockdown. Mm-hmm. And I think it's probably fair to say that our paths probably wouldn't have crossed. No, probably life. very unlikely, to be honest, um, given the, the distance between us geographically. And um, we may have found ourselves in similar um spaces intellectually but unlikely we would have we would have met in the way that we have mm-hmm. and it's interesting you're talking about connections because I, I, I looked through the the quotes that you sent and the one that really resonated with me was the Brenny Brown one um connection is the energy that's created between people when they feel seen, heard, and valued, when they can give and receive without judgment. And the reason it resonated so much was because of the last year and because of the amazing people that I've met and connected with online and um, the amazing conversations that that we've had in in the groups, the um, sort of professional learning type events that, that that have taken place as part part of that as well and you know going back to to that quote you know the the seen heard and valued is I feel a given and what makes the groups that that we're in together whether it's AOB or the campfires what what makes them work and and be so valuable to to all of us who you know keep coming and you know I think there's there's something in that that, that we that we all keep showing up every week or whenever we can um, yeah, and yeah we feel seen here heard and valued I think definitely and I think it's interesting because like I those quotes are quotes that I suppose have been in my head for a, quite a long time or have been around that I've been aware of um, but you're right it kind of almost puts it into a different context doesn't it and maybe make some of those meanings yeah it brings different meaning because of you know the conversations and and mm-hmm. you know the, the connection I find it really still find it really strange how um kind of strong a lot of the connections are that you know we've developed with people like not just in Scotland but beyond um you know beyond the UK even that actually we've created them 
online and never met in person and it just still feels really quite weird yeah and that, that, that i mean perfect example is for myself is with um sophie and thomas for for putting together the the talk that we did on on time and um a feeling that, that that we that we contributed to the firestarter festival and you know myself in scotland and, and sophie in wales and thomas in ireland never met before but we did feel this incredible connection after the the for sure talk that we did with uh for paul back in november and we all felt compelled to to do something else uh, you know and all credit was to sophie for for that for um calling us together and um being brave to make that suggestion that we could maybe try and do something again and um yeah it, it, it was very very brave and very appreciated um by myself certainly and i'm sure by by thomas as well yeah and this is this might be a an impossible question to answer but what i'm curious i suppose about what it is that has compelled us to keep talking and be interested and yeah and and you know and actually fair you know often i mean i'm just thinking about the campfire conversation we had last friday which um we put out a little summary podcast but actually it was quite a deep and meaningful sort of current to it and thread to it and yet for all intents and purposes i suppose you know in the real you'd say actually we're still strangers in one way and yet there's that real sort of drive to connect and um yeah feel like you know people it is odd isn't it that that never having met people but never having met people face to face but you know I would say that I feel that I know a lot of the people in the room at at the the campfires and the AOB sessions but yeah so that is odd you know never having met but you know I would say that we all have a reasonable feeling for each other's personalities and and you know bits of bits of the stories that we've picked up um about each other as we've listened to each other it's it is unusual Mm. and and a reaction I suppose to the times you know to the times that we found ourselves in the uh, and so therefore I think also quite resourceful that you know that we've created and again huge credit goes to to others I don't want to make it sound like I've created this community I suppose we all have but huge credit goes to Paul and uh, other people who've been the driving force Karen and so on behind um, a lot of these conversations and sessions Um, definitely yeah I like that word resourceful because it has felt that you know we've on one hand lost quite a lot over the last 12 months with lockdown and particularly around human connection but on the other hand, um, have gained an enormous amount through, and not just through the connections, but, you know, some of the, like you said, almost, CP, you know, it's, it's kind of some of it is accidental CPD. It's through the, it's, it's almost through the conversations. You get curious about something and then go and talk to somebody else and, you know, you're learning stuff without necessarily actively going to look for it. Yeah, I like that. Accidental CPD, definitely, <laughs> because, uh, you know, it's been a journey, um, in, in terms of learning as well, um, mm-hmm. I I did meet Paul and Matthew face to face not too long before lockdown at an event in West Lothian, and 
it had a huge impact on me. And it was probably the spark, the starting point for me that led me into the ALB group and um, into the, the community that, that we both find ourselves a part of, that um, something just, yeah, something flipped a switch for me in the, the session that I went to with with uh, Hidden Giants and um, woke me up, I think I, I would have to say. I've spoken to Matthew about it actually a few times over the last couple of weeks about how I went to that session and I found it really challenging, really, and I, you know, being completely honest with him, I said I felt unsure, I felt annoyed, I felt confused, um, I, I really, and then as I reflected on it in the days afterwards, I was like, yeah, but that's actually really quite valuable that you felt those feelings and why did you feel like that? And I started to unpick it and realised a lot of my assumptions were about what a session should look and feel like and how I should um, how I should react and what my role was as as a participant in a, in a CPD session. Um, and I was making all sorts of assumptions and yeah, it, it was the start definitely of a journey for me or a wake up call, I'm not sure, something mm. like that. Yeah, so something um, I'm trying to think now. Like, there's some some something in research that refers to them as like crystallizing moments that at the time you don't sort of realise, but almost when you think back, they're the kind of moments that you sort of think, okay, that was that was the point which made something clear or led me to question something which actually at the time really wasn't clear, but it gradually became clearer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, and how you know it's interesting and in terms of how things are now because um, obviously you're back in the classroom, you've got kids back with you mm. have you noticed or how have you noticed maybe some of the things that that are now are they translating or how are they translating back into how you are in that role um having been in you know the profession for a, a number of years yeah that's that's still a journey too i would i would say um and something that i'm still exploring um but i am very much questioning my practice and sort of encouraging others to pre- to question theirs Mm-hmm. Um, and trying to think a lot about the assumptions that we make in, in terms of classroom and who should lead a classroom, who should be learning in a classroom, um, who should, you know, who, who makes the plans and, and why should it always be led by an adult? All, all of those huge questions. So it is having an impact on me, but it, it's very small steps. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's really important that we take well, it's crucial that we take the kids with us and huge steps for them are, are, are going to, they're going to find that very, very difficult. It's such a, a huge change in, in culture in, in the classroom. Um, and the same goes for, for staff. Um, you yeah. know, very important that, that people don't just shut down. Um, you know, a lot of teaching or, or quite a bit of it is about power um, and teachers sometimes I think and this is something I was speaking to Matthew about today funnily enough teachers sometimes yeah find find it hard to give that power up um, and I, I find myself very much agreeing with Matthew when we were talking about that today that yeah so that has to be small small changes to to allow teachers to still feel comfortable 
and it's yeah. really you know, and that's really interesting you know because I'm th- you know a lot of the work I do is around maybe facilitation or thinking back to you know times within a coaching environment working in coach education and and actually some of those dilemmas and that's what I've really enjoyed about you know talking cross-sector is that you can suddenly, or you, not suddenly, but you realise that the same dilemmas that have been facing, you know, me, for example, in a facilitation environment where you're, you know, maybe faced with a group who traditionally are kind of coming to think, oh, this person's going to tell us how to solve all the problems. And actually that realisation that I, maybe I don't have any answers, but I have a lot of questions and how can we kind of together explore this as opposed to me holding all the power and the, like, the big reveal on the PowerPoint of here's the answer um but it's actually how and and I do and I I think as adults perhaps our expectations of how things are now is based on maybe our how we've always learned so thinking about the teacher at the front of the classroom telling us the art and and actually it's that realization if we go together and explore together it can be much more powerful but we're so kind of conditioned into that way of thinking that it's really quite hard to change that because we're used to it it's our habit and I think even you know kids are used to it as well especially if they've come up through through primary school and Mm -hmm. um a lot of their time has been spent Mm -hmm. sitting on seats looking at a a a screen whether you know a big screen or a a whiteboard or or listening to to a teacher Um, Mm -hmm. and maybe slightly different styles but quite often that chalk and talk um philosophy mm. so it's quite hard to yeah move away from that I think mm. and it's going to take a bit of a culture change and I feel that we can make those changes ourselves but I also feel that that, that there needs to be a bit more more leadership from mm. from the top mm. on that although I wouldn't hold my breath um, <laughs> yes it's we can we can start making those little shifts at ground level um and at some point we need that. And, and maybe sometimes it's about the permission and acknowledgement of where that expertise lies that actually, you know, as prof- education professionals or you know, facilitators, we know and our intent is, all, you know, the intent is positive and we want to achieve. And it's kind of almost like finding that way that we're trusted to be able to, OK, this may not look like what you would expect education to look like let's judge the results on whether the children are more engaged or these learners are more engaged and whether actually when they go out into the world, they're able to make more sense of it and do do that thing. Yeah. And be an important part of it and Mm -hmm. and function. And function is not even the word, you know, be successful. Yeah. In whatever sector of the world. I mean, there are positive noises definitely coming from people who, are in positions of power in terms of Scottish education. Um, I went to a session last week and Gail Gorman um, did not hesitate in rejecting um, the the learning loss agenda and the catch-up agenda. And I was, you know, sitting nodding my head thinking, yeah, Mm -hmm. I completely agree with you. There's, you know, nothing I would disagree with in what you're saying here. And I was at a session yesterday yesterday I think um, and Ollie Bray was talking and he said he was talking about how when we're providing and um, when we're providing learning or, or CPD for staff it has to be in a fun playful way 
much in the same way as you would be looking to provide fun, playful learning for for your children. And again, I was sitting thinking, yes, yes, yes. You know, that that is so true. You know, we're not just going to stand there and say, right, this is how you teach. And, and uh, you know, list five bullet points or whatever. Um, yeah. And that's very much brings us back to where, you know, roughly where I started saying that, you know, that that is... What I think uh, one of the big realizations from from working with Paul and Matthew originally at Hidden Giants and, and uh, the way that they approached mm. um, trying to trying to you know present a, a piece of learning to us um, as as a group as a large group of uh, sort of middle leaders. Mm. And yeah, why should kids get all the play? Definitely bring it back for adults because kind of I've, maybe that's what I've realised over lockdown as well. Maybe I'd forgotten how to play. And like, yeah. you know, I've just discovered art and all those sorts of things. And it's like, I haven't got a rule book, you know, I've not watched the YouTube videos or got a book, tell me how to do it. I've like, I've got a few people help, you know, Lorna, who's in the, you know, helping me and guiding me, but then mm-hmm. just going, just do it, just play. And yeah. Yeah, sometimes you surprise, sometimes you kind of go, yes, that looks like quite a mess that I've made on that page. But other times you sort of surprise yourself a little bit. Um, which, which yeah, is really and anyone can do it. You know, I, I don't, there's no, no secret to it, is there? You don't need to have gone to art college for, for four years. Not to enjoy it anyway. I think that's no. the, yeah. Whether I'm any good at it is, or is it art is in the behind of the beholder or something, isn't it? It's what you see mm. and make of it. <laughs> but I'm just, I'm thinking about the quote and connections. And I think something that's, that's I've noticed and I think maybe connects us a little bit is a, a love of music. Mm-hmm. And I'm not yeah. sure I've met anybody who has such a broad knowledge of such a range of music as you. Um and you know it's such an eclectic taste um and what, so where where does that come from where does your like love of music kind of oh, know, where's gosh. it growing from yeah i was thinking about this earlier um i mean car journeys with my my, my parents in the past um and when i think back to what we were listening to in the car on those journeys it was things like the best of the 60s tape or Neil Diamond, my dad was a huge Neil Diamond fan. The Quarries, tapes of the Quarries. Um, you know, so it's not like that shaped my taste, but certainly gave me that love of music. I mean, we would all sit and sing along to whatever Beatles song or whatever was on the, the 1960s tapes that, that we were listening to. Um, so it certainly got me loving music and loving singing and and, mm. and, and just being part of a being part of, of, of that listening experience. But as to how, gosh, I mean, the, my taste has developed over the years. Um, yeah, you're right. I mean, I do have a really wide, you know, it goes from sort of soft rock to industrial noise and everything in between. Um, and I, it's hard to keep up with, with all of the different <laughs> kinds of music that I love. And it's all come from different experiences in, in, in my life. Um, one of the things I find myself despairing at a little, um, and now I'm going to sound like like an old man talking about oh, when, I were, when I were a lad. <laughs> I, I do find, and this goes back to the song that we were listening to at the campfire on Friday um, by the Redskins, keep on keeping on I do find the lack of sort of popular protest music to be a, a concern I, I wish there were more when I know that when I was 
in my teenage years and, and into my early twenties, I listened to a lot of music that that was rooted in protest. Whether it was that Redskin song that, that we listened to on Friday um, about the miners' strike, whether it was songs by the Clash and the Jam, which you know, even if they weren't protest songs, they were about alienation. They were about um, not fitting in society. They were about mal a malfunctioning society. Um, and, and I don't get that too much. I, I know that there are there is music out there that does that. There are bands out there who do that, but not to the same extent and, and not in such a popular way. I mean, you know, Going Underground went straight in at number one when it was released by The Jam. You know, The Clash were a huge selling band releasing songs, you know, about... Mm you know, riots and, and Hammersmith Pally and, you know, safe European home. Again, I, I always come back to that message, you know, as we sit here in our safe European homes <laughs> during a pandemic, you know. Um, no, it's so, yeah, I learned something. I learned something quite interesting last week. I was watching, I, th I don't know what it was. It was like a, it was like a Paul Heaton documentary or something um, and talking about the House Martins and the song Happy Hour. Mm, I and I must picture. have listened to that song like immeasurable times, mm -hmm. but I didn't realise that's kind of a, that's like an anti, um, like going to the pub after work on a Friday oh, night, yeah. like cultural. And I was like, wow, a song that I love and I, I listen to, I've actually, I never really understood the meaning and it was really quite powerful that you kind of like, yeah, okay, they were a good, yeah. good protest yeah. band as well, the House Martins, definitely. Yeah. I saw them live a, a couple of times, they were brilliant. Oh, but yeah, and it's, and it's interesting, isn't it? Like you say about it's almost there are some, and maybe they're not protest. Maybe it's like reality. So I'm thinking quite a lot of like grime music, and mm -hmm. you know it, that's rooted in kind of this is how it is, and it's you know this is our reality. But it's not main. It doesn't feel mainstream. No. Whereas it's it's so it's kind of out. It's quite edgy and yeah, mm -hmm. on the edge of rather than in people's like predominantly in the t you know. Is it? Does it get to the top? I don't know. I don't listen to the charts anymore. I, I feel like I know, I've kind of come. Maybe it is a sign of age. <laughs> an age thing. I know. Maybe it is just an age thing, and that's why I, I, I precede my whole my whole rant there with uh, <laughs> with saying that you know it might well just be me going over an hour a lad, but um, <laughs> it, it does seem like there is less protest, less popular protest music now, yeah. and less music that questions the sort of very sort of fabric of society really when you think back to things that the jam put out about um private hell and so on the, the song that they did on setting suns which mm. you know was really cuts deep in terms of um society and and mm. people being alienated and uh not fitting in mm. essentially i went we went to this is um well it must have been the christmas before lockdown we went to see Billy Bragg in up in Perth, and uh, like I hadn't seen, never seen him before. That's the first time, and that was it. Was kind of like I, it was not like go and sing along to the tracks sort of type evening, but it's the stories, and mm -hmm. the you know this is and the stories are talking about why, and you know whether you agree with individual politics or not, it's, it's something quite powerful about hearing the passion and the story behind a song, and then how that song is then portrayed and yeah he's probably yeah. the archetype archetypal archetypal is that the word angry protest man song yeah 
and he's done some great stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I kind of like protest songs that you know to be like that Redskins one. You know, something uplifting, something like yeah, you know, we know we're in a fight here, but let's you know let's keep at it. Billy Bragg did a, a few good ones. Great, waiting for the great leap forwards. I always thought with by Billy Bragg was quite a positive, uplifting sort of protest song. I've just I so I was scribbling I was scribbling notes on um, Friday at the campfire and I wrote there's two verses of that song that I wrote down which felt quite um, relevant I don't know why I don't know why I wrote them so the one the first I think this is the first verse can't remember such a bitter time the boss says jump the workers fall in line I'm not down but I'm feeling low they whip us into line with the threat of the doll so that was the one verse and then the other verse which felt a bit more like this felt like the sort of right I'm I'm going to fight this was. Um, I ain't one what I'm fighting for. Full-timers backslide to the cues of sellout. We've got to get the reins in our hands ourselves. Stand firm, hold tight and fight. Mm. So that kind of felt quite, uh, everything's bad, but actually, come on, we're going to stand up for what we believe in. It was a depressing time. And it was obvious that the miners were going to lose. You know, once we got to a certain point, you know, Sure, even when that record came out, you know, things were probably not looking too clever for um for the miners. And but yeah, they did try and keep that that positive uh, slant mm. on it, which I loved at the time, I must admit. Mm. And yeah, it is um it, yeah. And songs like that, like I think for me, um, like songs and music has just this ability to evoke either memories or you know, you hear a song and you can remember where you were. Or it'll like for me, it just you saying like listening to music in the car. I've got to confess, I'm a big Rod Stewart fan, like quite the early stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but that comes from um, being on holiday in France as a youngster with um, my godparents and my mum and dad and family, and like they were a real, they were massive Rod Stewart fans. So I remember mm-hmm. the night on the town. That was the album that really got me in, and it kind of yeah, you remember it, and you know you remember the songs and you know other songs that you know you think oh yeah my first my first so here you go my first 45 single that i bought was um only you by the flying pickets <laughs> so i'm not sure, I'm not sure if that's a good thing to confess that. or not first first songs could because i'm sitting here nodding and you're talking about rod stewart my first um lp my first physical vinyl lp was atlantic crossing by by rod stewart um, i've got i think i've got that on on uh, tape <laughs> Sense. there's a there's a dead well no not quite a dead medium people are people are releasing cassettes again now <laughs> it's funny isn't it like there's something fun I like and I've got you know iTunes and you know listen to Spotify and those sort of things but I still prefer to have a CD mm-hmm. and I don't know why it's just something about that physical and like reading the sleeve notes and you know you read the lyrics or the notes that there's something quite um yeah tangible magical. about that because the, the artwork on like some of the you know see you know they're so recognizable you just see the artwork and you know immediately mm-hmm. you know there's got you know some of them don't even have the words of you know the the artist on the front or the the name of the album but you just look at the picture and you're like know who that is yeah that's iconic yeah definitely um it was final for me when i was growing up although i did as, as everyone probably did move on to to cds uh sort of during the, the late 80s and 90s um but yeah, a, a lot of a lot of vinyl records, which were always an absolute pain for moving house, of course. But 
<laughs> yeah, it's funny, isn't it? How things like how things chip. You know, the, I suppose the mechanism and the means shifts, and te- that shows the technology. But the music doesn't change. Mm-hmm. There's something you know. It's still great lyrics. You know, powerful melodies, and yeah. you know, depending on what band you listen to, a really heavy bass line or drum beat or something. Yeah, you know that doesn't change. And seeing people live. Yeah, that's the, gosh, that that's that's been a big mess um, in the yeah. last twelve months. Live music. Um, not that. I suppose in the last 10 years, I've probably not gone to loads and loads of concerts, but certainly when I was younger, um, live live concerts were frequent and more important than um, the physical, you know, more important than the recorded music. Um, when I think back to some, uh, my first, <laughs> my first ever concert, I was thinking about it earlier was, um, believe it or not, in West Calder, which is about two miles away from where I'm sitting right now. And it was madness. And they, they did this really strange off-the-beaten-track tour. And I don't think anyone else ever played in the Regal Cinema in, uh, in West Calder. But madness, madness did. Brilliant. <laughs> and because it was so close by to, to where I came from, and I was allowed to go as, as a probably 13-year-old or something. <laughs> Amazing. So, okay, here's a question for you. Who is the best artist or band you've ever seen live? Like the best live performance? My favourite ever gig. The best live The best live experience I had was Swans. Um, American band that I love, who have been going for a long time and are still going, still producing wonderful music. Um, I saw them play live. Well, I've seen them play live quite a, a few times, but this one uh, con- concert was at a place that's no longer there anymore in Edinburgh called uh, Carlton Studios. Um, they just released an album called The Burning World. It, was, oh, it must have been, it was sort of mid to late 80s, I'm guessing sort of maybe 86, 87. Um, and so the sort of backdrop to the album is really interesting because they they'd been picked up by a major label and uh, they'd had to make all sorts of compromises on the album. So it was quite sort of polished and uh, unusually um, unusually polished for them. So I think, and they hadn't, I don't think they, they were very happy with the finished product. Um, so when they played live, they just took it to town. They absolutely did what they would have wanted to do, I think, with the songs. And each song became a 10-minute epic and it was... Incredible, incredible. Um, yeah, so that that's my one. Although I've seen so many, but that's always been the one that that's been the the, the benchmark. I think, mm. back in, um, and it's nobody's ever quite or quite reached it. Oh, that's that is great, isn't it? You kind of that is those and it, and in, you know probably you could listen to the album, but it, it's interesting. You said it was like not really them, and then you go and see and you know, just seeing musicians at the top of their game. Maybe, who knows? Maybe they were just jamming to some of it. Maybe they'd rehearsed it. Who knows? But, you know, you just kind of, it's that moment where everything's on fire and in sync. and it's... looked and looked at the end of the songs over and over and it just became this trance-like um, experience. It was, it was something else. Amazing. <laughs> I know. There is, yeah, music, there is something very powerful about music. And I don't, I don't confess my first, I think, well, gone. my first, first gig that I went to was, um, like big, wet, wet, wet. 
at the NEC. <laughs> my mum took me and a friend. <laughs> so that's a Scottish connection, Marty Pello and the bat, you know, there's, there's a little bit of a connection. But uh, I think I've seen Rod Stewart three times. That's probably... I, I had a, a, a crazy um, experience. <laughs> I went to see Rod Stewart um, at Ibrox. Um, must have been a long time ago. Wasn't it in the round? Wasn't it in the round tour when they were doing stadiums and he was in the middle? Um, no, he was along one of the long sides of, oh, of the, okay. the the stand. It it was a quite a long time ago, but I didn't. Well, I saw about ten or fifteen minutes worth of it. We lost our tickets outside <laughs> oh, no. the gig, me and the friend that I had gone with. So we wandered around the outside of Ibrox, <laughs> and they eventually opened the gates near the end, and we got in to see about. An encore, probably. Oh. About minutes worth. <laughs> <laughs> That's my. Actually, I'm just thinking. You know, my the most. I don't know. It wasn't really, but a gig that I went to that I think I should have appreciated a lot more than I actually did. I saw the Stones at Wembley on their Voodoo oh. Lounge tour, mm-hmm. and I wasn't. I didn't. You know, I wasn't really a fan. I was going because some friends were like, "Come on, we'll go." And I look back now, and I think, and I was about six rows from the front, and. You know, my memory of that is just energy, pure energy, mm-hmm. and being in awe of, like, the energy that just kind of came off the stage. But, yeah, it's one of those now that I think, wow, if only at the time I'd have appreciated actually how kind of iconic that that band and that whole sound yeah, was. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, yeah, maybe maybe in another, yeah. <laughs> I can look back and find a video there must be a, a tape video that shows my age as well there must be kind of a recording of it somewhere From that tour. yeah probably yeah go back and remind myself of what i missed or what i don't remember <laughs> anyway so so as we draw to maybe a close of this conversation i'm drawn i can't help be drawn back to like the word connection and mm-hmm. i think connection is the energy that was the start of that Brene brown quote because yeah. that yeah it does feel like these random connections have created lots of and it's you know we use the the campfires and sparks and those kind of things but it does feel like there's sort of new energy that has been created because of those new connections and often unexpected unexpected connections as well yeah I mean I think I I hate to be too positive about the pandemic because it has been tragic for many people Mm. Um, and not just in terms of losing loved ones but in terms of the impact on mental health and Mm. the impact economically Um, so uh, bearing all that in mind I do still feel that personally that there's been a lot of positives Mm. Um, and maybe that's just having a, a, a sort of an optimistic viewpoint on life but then I wouldn't want to put myself in the same shoes as everyone else because I, I you know, I'm very lucky. Touch wood, I haven't um, lost any loved ones to to the pandemic, um, mm-hmm. and that economically, because of the, the line of work that I'm in, I'm, I'm, I've been fairly lucky in terms of of that too. Mm-hmm. But I do feel that there have been a lot of positives that have come out of the whole process for me, um, doing things in a different way looking at things differently, being able to access a lot of conversations, a lot of CPD, a lot of things just, just by clicking on a, 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 you know, clicking on a link rather than, than 
physically taking myself along to a, a venue or a room or, you know, finding that extra travel time, which, you know, can sometimes be more difficult than than actually attending. Um, so, yeah, there, there, there have been a lot of positives for me. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it come, does come back to the, the connections, the connections that, that have been made, um, not just between people, but between ideas and, and thoughts and um, philosophies, but yeah, mostly, mostly between people. Definitely. Mm. And, yeah, I, and I agree. And I kind of feel that there's, there's almost like a whole yin and yang, isn't there? For all of the, you know, real sadness and challenges that has mm. been faced, you know, my personal experience has actually been, it's kind of opened my world up to things that I wouldn't have experienced. Mm. So, you know, it's that sort of, it feels like there's a lot of possibilities. Um, and, and yeah, I think the big thing for me that I found really surprising is had somebody said to me 18 months ago, you can go on, you know, through Zoom, you know, just, yeah, you can make new friends, new connections. I'd be like, no, you can't do that online. You just can't. It's not the same as meeting in person. And yet something has, you know, happened and whether it's the will it may you know, it's probably a whole host of factors maybe it's the willingness of the people to engage to be open to have to question um mm. and the you know the environment that's been created but actually yeah you you can so in a world where physically we haven't been able to meet people actually virtually it's you know i was up till waiting up till midnight although i got my timings wrong to go on a webinar in canada and connected that would never have happened 18 months ago um so yeah, I think that connection of people and ideas, and you know, yeah, going back to Brené Brown, connection being that energy, definitely that feels quite like you say, new, a lot of new possibilities. Whatever else has happened, there's it's raised a lot of uh, opportunity, and certainly in education, what we keep saying, you know, about that is that, and I've heard it so many times, but it's so true. We just we can't let the opportunity slip. We've got to we've got to grasp it. We've got to make sure that. <laughs> We use the the opportunity and, and the possibilities that we're faced with to create something new and more meaningful for ourselves, for our learners, and for you know the future of education. Mm. And that feels like a very apt way to close the conversation. So thank you very much, Kenny, for uh, giving up your time and talking. And it's been an absolute uh, pleasure look forward to continuing the conversations and seeing wherever they go and who knows maybe one day sitting over a cup of coffee in a a music venue somewhere yeah absolutely that would be nice thank you thanks you've been listening to the coffee and conversation podcast the podcast that celebrates great people making amazing things happen my thanks again to my guest kenny hamilton and also to you for listening until the next time take care